welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Ahoy, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The World of Speakers. This is where we search the world for people who are doing really cool things using their voice, and we bring them here on the show so we can learn about them, we can learn from them, and then we can help what they've done to help accelerate our speaking career. Today, we have somebody who is not only a humanitarian, he is somebody who's traveled the world. He's somebody who has a rich life experience that sometimes is scary to really look at the dark side of life, but he's used that as a catalyst to help people find their purpose, to find what really gets them going. And so today I'm excited to have Gordon Bufton, who I've met quite a few times and I've followed his travels around the world. We're yet to share a stage, but technically this is a stage that we're sharing. So welcome to the world of speakers, Gordon. I appreciate it, Ryan. It's going to be a fun conversation and, you know, admire your scuba diving and uh, all the sailing, even though I was in San Diego, we didn't get to go sail, but nice. Yeah. No, Hey, you know, you got it. I think a big part of what helps me as a speaker is that I don't only speak. I scuba dive, I hunt for lobsters, I sail, I hang out, I walk, I do like, like speakers are real people too. And I think that's one thing that has helped me connect with my audience is that I'm not just a speaker. And so you are not just a speaker. You got all kinds of cool stuff going on. And to help the audience learn a little bit about you from a vignette story, can you pull a story off the shelf? Like imagine all the old DVDs you had and like the one DVD that was the one story that one time that really shaped you. What would that story be? And that'll allow us to get to know you a little bit. Uh, There's so many stories, Ryan. Thank you. Let me pull one. You want to give me like a just a a little bit more specific of a topic for your audience? Yeah. So if you think back to a story that shaped you, it doesn't have to be speaker oriented. It can be something from your past. It can be a crazy trip that went wrong. It could be literally you tripping and falling and that led to a cascading event of something. So I would say the, the threshold is look at the DVDs of your life and pull out a certain DVD. And then there's some special, what is it? Special features, right? Like the director's cut. What is a little behind the scenes on a story, something that stands out that you're like, wow, I'm a different person? One that really stands out, and most of my friends are like, you did what? Was kind of as much as it's such like an interesting story is like during COVID, I was actually in Europe after, you know, spending most of my life in the States being having a a green card. And I, I was in Europe and I had this decision of either to fly back to the States or stay in Europe. And I remember at the time I was growing a mastermind, so I was doing it remote. And the thought goes through my head of, oh, well, this is just going to be a couple of weeks. Let me just stay in Europe. And so I canceled my tickets back to the States and stayed in Europe. And so obviously, as the whole world was shutting down and we had to move that mastermind from in-person events to online events, which we were fortunate enough to be able to do, is do I go back or stay? And like every month, like the place I was staying with one of my mentors in Portugal is like, can I stay another month? Can I stay another month? Can I stay another month? And finally, after eight months there, I'd left and you're only kind of supposed to stay in Europe for three months, but I'd, I'd gone to Morocco. And so I just kind of stayed in Europe. And then at the end of August, I go on Google, best places in Europe, August. 
And Croatia was number one, which I know you've been to, Ryan. And Greece was number two. And so I go, I've always wanted to go to Greece. So I went to Greece and I stayed in Athens for a month working remote and the whole city was shut down. So I had the city to myself, restaurants to myself, and got to experience one of the best places in the world with nobody there. Then I went to the Greek islands for a couple of months and traveled. I actually went, I don't know if it was like a sailboat, but it was definitely a boat off of Santorini. And we went to the hot springs and watched the sunset and just got to experience one of the best places in the world when not many tourists were there. And so I ended up going to Sweden and spending the winter in Sweden and just like continued traveling and doing things when most of the world was shut down and freaking out. And so it was always interesting. Like I was grateful I had a Canadian passport so I could continue traveling and go to these places. And then finally came back to the States for a couple of weeks in the beginning of 2021 and then went to South America. So I've continued this just traveling and exploring and working remote. And so I think one of the things that for the audience is like what you want to do, do like, even if be able to think for yourself. And even if the world is like doing one thing is like, am I safe? Am I healthy? I'm unable to do this. Okay, let's do it. And, and just be smart about it. Should you stay or should you go now? This is the struggle that we all have, especially in a pandemic now. Is that the way you've always run your life is just like sort of off the cuff and sort of these whimsical decisions that you're choosing between, would you say, I'm I'm making like a philosophical guess here, maybe psychological guess. If you have this like the juxtaposition between structure or like the unknown, which maybe has a little bit unstructured. Have you been riding those rails your whole life between structure and unstructure? Yes. And then like, I, I do really well in structure. And then I'm like, ah, <laughs> let me like move this structure or I'll like have a company for six months. And I'm like, ah, let's do something else. And so it's been really, you know, like another short story. I was, this is like, God, I, I must've been, this was before I published my first book when I was 25. So I think I was 24. And I had been working, running this valet at a hotel, running the valet crew. And it just like, it wasn't working anymore. Like I was over, it was time to go on to the next thing. And, and I was speaking during the day in schools and then I would park cars at night. So I was able to do, to do both. And I um, was living in Scottsdale and I was out for lunch with a friend and I go, you know what? I don't know. I think I'm over Scottsdale for the summer. Like I might go to live with one of my friends in Cincinnati. And I just like couldn't make this decision. So I flipped a coin. You actually flipped the coin. This is the the Gordon coin slip. Okay. Yep. So heads, I go to Cincinnati for the summer and tails, I stay in Scottsdale. And so I flipped the coin and it was heads. So I went to Cincinnati for the summer and um, was living with my friend who was three to six months pregnant. So I was able to help her kind of like through that as, you know, she was having an interesting relationship with the baby's dad. And I remember reading... What, so I don't, I'm not married or have any kids myself, but I, I remember reading what to expect when expecting and always being a week ahead and just like super enamored by this process that I never like, you know, I want to have kids, but I never thought I would learn anything about it until I had my own kids. And so we opened up a nonprofit and I worked on my book at night and that really allowed me to finish publishing my book. And it was one of the best summers of my life because of a coin flick. Okay. It reminds me, I have a buddy that had a a coin that was a gold coin and it said, do it or screw it one side or the other. So we get to these decision points and I haven't thought about this in a while, but he reminded me of it and he's like, what should we do? I don't know. And it's like either decision is going to work. Right. But the problem is if you don't make a decision, 
that's where you get in trouble. And so we would flip the do it or screw it and we would just live by the coin. And I think what's really interesting here as you're sharing this, as somebody who is a speaker who travels around the world, there are moments in life where we have this coin flip decision, whether it's to a pandemic, whether it's to move out of the state, whether it's to start or stop your business or whether it's to take that stage or not. And I think there is an amount of comfort that comes in your ability to make decisions. And I think as a speaker, sometimes we're pulled in so many ways. Well, I should speak about this as that's what everybody else is speaking about. The people that are getting paid the big bucks, they're speaking about that. Maybe I should do this. So do you feel that your strength, whether it's a coin flip strength or whether it's an off the cuff strength, whether it's the fact that when you're faced with a decision, you actually make a decision. Is that a key part of what makes you a successful speaker? Yeah, that's been one of the keys to my success over the years is being able to make decisions. And it's really easy to go back and, you know, one of the, like some of the decisions I made recently have been really analyzing them and, and thinking through what I could have done differently or how it could have been more successful. The piece was, and I love this framework, one of my speaking mentors, and I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was like Brian Tracy or something. And he goes, um, I was at an NSA event and he was speaking to us. We had 50 people in the room and, and he goes, whenever you give a speech, you give the best speech that you can in the moment. And then when you get done, yes, you can analyze it, but you can't change it. And in that moment, I like made the best decision that I had with the information that I had. And now a couple of months later, I have new information. So I might've made a different decision. But just to know, like with the information I had, I made the best decision I had. And now I'm able to move forward and make a different decision or make the same decision or, you know, continue going forward, which is so vital. And it's easy to be on the sidelines. Yeah. And I think we've all faced a pandemic story version, whether it's staying in Europe or going home or whether it's continuing to try to get bullish on digital adoption or keep your fees at the same height or work with in different ways or spread yourself to where you're counteracting the market. So I think that we all have dealt with a lot of uncertainty. And I think this idea of the ability to make a decision and doing your best, it's like, can you do more than your best? No, because that's the best you can do at that moment. So this is a great transition into your approach when it comes to crafting your talks or giving your talks. You kind of gave us a little bit of an insight there as far as like, your mental process is to just do the best that you can given that experience. So how do you go about that? Because that, that could be uneasy for certain people that need that structure, that need to have that fully mapped out keynote to know exactly what they're going to do. How do you speak to the people that are used to the structure and how can you empower them with this? I guess, is it the coin flip dance between structure and unstructure, which sort of is its own structure? <laughs> Well, I would say like from my experience, if it's working, keep doing it. And if having a structured speech is working really well for you, keep doing it. Great. Like explore that. I know for me, I usually have like a couple of bullet points, right? And this is, I learned this from another speaker. The audience is most likely, unless you're a big celebrity speaker, they're not going to remember your name. They're not going to remember the title of your book. They're not going to remember every single story that you tell. They're probably not going to remember any of your story. <laughs> truth, truth serum. Plug your ears if you don't want to hear it. <laughs> but one of my things is like, what's one concept they can come away with? And, you know, my latest book is called The Connection Effect. And if my audience only remembers connection, 
and goes and connects better with their daughter or connects better with their partner or connects better with their employees, that's been a success. They don't have to tweet about 4,000 tweets like Ryan does on a daily basis. (laughs) They don't have to buy my book. If you just remember one thing, it's been a success. And the other aspect is like taking action on that, right? So if you're listening to this now, it's like, how can you reach out to one person and text one person today? How can you make one phone call today? Send one email, one LinkedIn message, one whatever, just one. And remind someone that you're thinking of them or that you love them or that you're thinking about them or you read an article and this reminded me of such and such. Like when I was traveling Europe, one of my closest friends, his company logo is an owl. So I would be in Europe and there would be an owl on like a billboard and I would take a photo of it and text it to him. That's it. And now he's like, oh man, Gordon's thinking about me. So this is funny. You have an interesting, similar piece of advice that my mom has always given me and it we'll see how close this is. But as I've worked towards gaining more traction as a speaker, you have to understand that it, actually throughout the entire way, the audience isn't always there that you'd expect. You show up, you're ready for a full crowd, and then you're at a conference in a breakout room and you have like sparse people in a huge audience of empty seats. And like, you still have to give your best performance, right? But she always reminds me, Ryan, it only takes one. It only takes one person being impacted. It only takes one person having something that they remember that changes their life. And you're saying something similar, but it's like, you're saying just make sure they have one takeaway. So it's like if you and my mom got together, it would be something like the one by one. Like it only takes one person and it only takes one message. And that can be something that is is powerful enough to justify why you're doing it in the first place. And, you know, we have big goals. So, you know, maybe 10. <laughs> we'll just put like a zero, right? So <laughs> numerology, they don't necessarily use the zero. But no, that's the same thing, right? If And I used to always say in my speeches, if just one person, I've done a lot of speaking on substance abuse and addiction, if just one person doesn't even, like they still use, but they think differently about it. And they know, like a core message for mine for many years when I was speaking in schools and universities was it just takes one bad decision to forever like destroy your dreams. One bad decision on alcohol, one bad decision with ecstasy, whatever that looks like can forever change your dreams in your life, but just know that. And if you know that going in and you still make the decision and you still live that, like you at least knew, and that was kind of like from my story is I didn't know if I tried ecstasy, I would be addicted to it. Like I had no idea. And um, to be able to educate people and with those one things of what's the one thing, what's the one thing we want our audience to remember? What's the one actionable takeaway. And that's what we were talking before we jumped on of going to events and taking notes. Like how many speakers have we gone to and taken notes and we didn't do anything. So when you're crafting a talk around this concept, of just one core thing. Is there anything structurally that you do? Do you do the classic? I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. Then I'm going to tell you, then I'm going to tell you what I told you. Are you using, you know, like a trigger phrase, like with Simon Sinek, where people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. In his talk, he said it like seven, eight, nine, ten times just to like reaffirm. Is there anything that you find that works to reinforce this one message concept? I would say like having the stories around connection and, you know, most of the speech, like now most of the speech is built around connection. And so like you literally 
if you walk out and you're not thinking about connection, like I've totally failed, but it's almost impossible because we talk about connection within relationships. We talk about connection with your work. We talk about connection with workaholism. You know, a lot of my groups have been entrepreneur groups over the years and they're always trying to improve their relationships. They're always trying to improve their relationships with their employees. They're always trying to with customers, right? So it, it all goes back to connection, which I believe business is connection. Life is connection. All that we do is, you know, we first have to connect with ourselves. Now, because you have done so much traveling in sort of throughout as you're speaking, not only speaking for traveling, but just traveling and getting away. Tell me about your process and finding these vignette stories or finding things about your travels and incorporating them. I know and I've talked to speakers when they go to an event, say internationally, they'll go out there like a week early. And they'll do that so they can immerse themselves and they can find experiences so that they have places to relate. Is that part of how you craft where your content is constantly growing, even though that same core message is still always the same? It really depends on the situation or the country. And like, as you're saying, I was like, God, how many countries have I either like hosted a mastermind dinner in or spoken at? I think it's like 12 or 14 now or done like a paid speech. And so it's interesting depending on the language. Most of my groups, it's always English, you know, and they, if you go anywhere other than the States, like people speak five languages, like it's nothing, especially in Europe, but just to be able to, you know, like I love engaging with the audience, like getting there a little bit early and talking to the audience, whether it's engaging with the person booking it or whether it's t- calling a couple of people before you come out to the speech. And another aspect from the story is like, I just have a Google Doc of different stories and short stories to be able to pull from. You know, like one of them was um, I was in Portugal. I was there with a friend and we were looking for a candle. And she's like, we go to this one store. They don't have any candles. They're like, oh, there's a China store around the corner. Just go to the China store. And we're like, okay, so we're, we're walking over there and we, we can't find it. And we talked to this guy and he's like, oh yeah, the China store is right over there across the street, but it burned down yesterday you should go there. And he's like, oh, wait, it burned down. So then we, we go there to just like see this burned down building. And the police officer is there and we go, hey, where can we get a candle? And he's like, oh, right over there. There's a China store. And he's like, oh, wait, but it burned down yesterday. <laughs> so like, that's an example of not knowing the language, being able to connect with people and them knowing this thing burned down, but they also didn't know. They also forgot. So there's humor in that. And what are you going to do to get a candle? So you finally get a candle, not from the China store because they all burned. Yeah, I was going to say the candles from that place probably are not safe as candles to leave burning alone in your house if that's the case. But why not? That's more of an adventure too, right? Then you have to make more split decisions. So this idea of split decisions, this idea of connection, this idea of flipping a coin, this idea of certainty and uncertainty, it sounds like it's the genesis for a lot of new material constantly, but what... I'm hearing is that no matter what new stories, what new analogies, what new things that are on this Google Doc, it keeps coming back to that one focus. So as you're telling these stories, you still mention that that story has to do with connection. And this other story has to do with connection. So do you find stories and then find your topic in them? Or do you look for stories that are centered around your topic? I would almost say like almost like a third, like my brain is just wired for connection. So I'm just always looking for it. And whether it's 
you know, how do I better connect with the person at the grocery store? How do I better connect with you, Ryan? Right? Like, we're going to talk about on this podcast, whatever those bears are. Yeah, you might be referring to my first TEDx talk because I talked about how to not get chased by a bear. <laughs> no, 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 not that. The bears at the bottom of the ocean that are like super micro. Oh, the water bears. See, water bears. Yes. Right? Okay, wait. So does anybody here listening know about water bears? If you don't, Google water bears. They're little six-legged pigs Well, that are microscopic that are the most inspiring living beings on the history of the earth because they have outlived all five mass extinctions and they are the epitome of resilience. Yes. Water bears. I love water bears. <laughs> like I know Ryan loves water bears. So in preparation for this podcast, I'm like, okay, what are some of the things that I could bring up that would allow me to better connect with Ryan? Sailing, water bears. I don't have red hair, but we both have a beard. Yeah, you mentioned scuba diving. You looked at my Twitter, all this stuff. So I see you're being sneaky about this. You're setting me up for connection. Instead of setting me up for success or setting me up for failure, setting me up for connection. And obviously, I got really excited about water bears. I haven't talked about water bears in a while. So I was on my little stump stage about water bears right now. Super excited. Everybody Google water bears. <laughs> but I mean, that's just kind of proof in the pudding of when you're connecting with people about things that they're excited about, then it gets them excited. And I just got excited. Yeah. I mean, this is the simple book. One of the books that changed my life at, I guess I was 25 reading this book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, Dale Carnegie, talk about what people want to talk about and get interested in, in other people, right? And it's easy to be in a single person narrative of, oh, man, I want to talk about this or I want to talk about that. Like, I watched the Masters this week. I know you're not a golfer. We're not going to bring up the masters. I did hit golf balls last week, though. I'm not a good golfer. I do like to golf because it's so challenging. So now you just by sharing something that you didn't think I was connected to, you actually discovered something else that I was connected to, a loose connection. And this is actually a really good transition to how you connect with stages, how you connect with more business opportunities, how you have found making a business speaking in front of a group of people that is a small mastermind group, right? I said, my mom said it only takes one. You said, let's go to 10. 10 is kind of like good for a mastermind. You're speaking to them. That's a whole different type of stage. So what would you say are some of the best ways to connect business success when it comes to speaking? And I'm leaving the door open because it's not just all about getting stages. You're proving here that it's about these relationships that can cause opportunities. So on the theme of your new book around connecting, how do I, how do we as a world of speakers connect to more stages? And does that mean we have to connect with the meeting planners? Do we have to connect with the companies? Do we have to connect with the CEOs? Break that down for us in a simple way. We know it's not easy, but what is the simplest way to connect to more business? First the thing that's coming to mind is in person. So many of my speaker friends go, if you're on stages, you're going to book more speeches. And then you're going to have content and, and going there and being on the plane and doing this. So just being in person, you know, for me, I remember early on the same Brian Tracy speech, right? Like I somehow remembered his name and I remembered two things from his speech, but he goes, if you aren't calling people and asking for money, you aren't working. And so when my speaking career was the most successful many years ago, before I like transitioned into masterminds, it was two hours a day of outreach of people that I had met at speeches, people who I knew were booking speeches. And this is where, you know, our mutual friend Jeff does a really good job in having assistants do the outreach for him is 
how do I reach out to these people? Is it on LinkedIn? Is it email? Is it phone calls? Is it post mail? Is it gifts? Is it in person? And just being consistent is the main thing. And I know there's times where I've been more consistent and there's times where I'm not and there's times where I am. And like, I can definitely parlay it to the income that I have. Am I doing the things every single day? And now to be able to speaking on stages and more leading it to masterminds and small groups, I really believe, and this is where we're doing a lot of work on this in Miami, is, is people are craving community right now. They're craving connection. They're craving these in-person experiences, whether it's 5,000 people at an event or five people. You know, some of my most successful dinners have been with four or five people. You're literally explaining how to connect with people by reminding us that people like to connect in person. So you're literally tapping into, it's almost like the question is the answer, right? How do you want to connect with people? Well, you connect with people because people are craving connection. They're craving community. They've been in, I wouldn't say locked down, but we have been locked down, whether we have or haven't. So does that mean like, so if I was a speaker and I wanted to gain traction in this sort of uncertain world. I flip the coin and I get to do it. Now's the time to do it. What are some of the specific things that you would start with knowing that we're in this world now? Yeah, I think the first thing is, and this is a strategy that one of my peers gave me many years ago, is find peakers who have similar topics and similar fees or a little bit higher. So you know you know, you're not looking at Simon Sinek, right? Who's making $75,000, a speech when you're making $5,000 a speech or $10,000 a speech, but you go on their websites and you see who their testimonials are from. Hmm. And you connect with those people because you know, they're booking speakers. They are going to events with speakers and they have budgets for speakers and just connect with them. Whether it's, you know, I, I know a lot of speakers send books, but I also try to like, I don't want to give you work. I want to make your life easier. I'm always thinking through, like, how do I deliver value for somebody who's booking, who's who's hosting an event, right? Like, I know some of the issues that they have and think through the problems. They need to hire speakers. They need to get people. They need to get sponsors. And so if I can help with any of those pieces, is valuable. So, you know, a lot of times when, you know, I was super ingrained in the speaking world is just reaching out and be like, hey, my friend Ryan is an amazing speaker. You should have him at your next event. Or my friend Shep Hyken is really good on customer service. Like, I know you have high-end speakers. He might be a perfect fit. Okay, great. So you're actually bringing value to them by suggesting other people while still getting on their radar and not being too self-promotional or trying to pitch your own wares. Yep. And just be able to, to create value for these people and think through what their problems are and how do I... Like, I remember we would always usually be the first to the venue and one of the last people to leave. Why? Because a lot of speakers have been known to be prima donnas and they show up just in time and they leave just at the end. But how do I deliver more value to the audience? How do I go to the dinners? How do I go to the breakfast? How do I be engaged in the audience? And with your move to masterminds, because my understanding of masterminds is that people are kind of getting together to add value to each other. So is that truly kind of the core of it to where you're group sourcing, group thinking, using everyone's experiences together, essentially providing value to each other, 
based on experiences. Is that, is that the gist of it? Yeah. I mean, that's the main thing is how do we, like we were talking about earlier, how do I learn from you? How do I see, you know, like if I wanted to sail or go sail the Greek islands, who do you think I'm going to call? Let's go. Let's go. Let's right? go. Like, I'm not going to go on Google. I'm going to go through my Rolodex of who do I know who sails. My other friend who is in Boston and he had a sailboat for many years, Dave Will. When we spoke at his EO chapter, you would love this, Ryan. So we spoke in Rhode Island. It was a Boston chapter and they did a day trip down to Rhode Island. So we worked with families and kids and help kids and parents, helping them better connect. And then the afternoon, we went sailing on the old, oh my God, what was it? The America's Cup? America's Cup, yeah. Yeah, like the boats from the 70s. Oh, wow. And so we got to sail these old boats from the America's Cups that were winning. And I had no idea what I was doing, but it was fun. <laughs> so I'm out there in like a button down and slacks and dress shoes, you know, spinning all that. And that's <laughs> an experience that I was able to have with a handful of people. You stay in contact with those people. You continue reaching out to those people. But like that's one of my few sailing experiences. So it sounds like not only is one half of the strategy to find the value that you can deliver to people, but it's also finding people who can bring value to you. And it takes a bit of humility and a bit of just like leaving your ego at the door to say, hey, I need help with this or, hey, I see that you're doing well with this. So it sounds like there's a dual strategy of connection where the premise of the connection on one level can be, hey, I think I can bring value to you. But it also seems like you're the first guy to say, hey, I need some help. And can you help bring value to me? And that truly, are those the two sides of connection that really make that go round? hundred percent. And um, one of my mentors, I was helping him train for a marathon and we were out for a run and I just got done with Ironman. I did Ironman in 2016. And this is, this is not one of my proudest moments. I remember finishing the race and got in the top 10%. It was my only triathlon in my life and just like crushed it. Amazing day, amazing race, 18 months of travel. And that night, Ryan, I go, what is the next thing I want to become world-class at? I couldn't even relish in the success of that moment, the journey. It was always on to the next thing. And this was one of my biggest lessons has been enjoy the process, not necessarily the destination. And, and so I was out on a training run, like really thinking through what I want to become world-class at. And he goes, look, Gordon, why do you do what you do? And I go, to help people. He goes, why do you think I do what I do? To help people. Well, if you don't ask me for help, I can't help you. Therefore, you're depriving me of that feel-good response. So, okay. So you're sort of tapping into something that inherently a lot of us think that if we're asking for help, maybe it's an actual ask and it's something that's really just for us. But that story highlights that when you actually do ask for help, if you asked me when you're in town in LA, you want to learn how to sail, that opens up the opportunity for me to do what I love to do to share that with you. So it's I think this is what could help some people get over that hump of trying to connect, right? I think there's a lot of fear if you're trying to reach out to spark some business. Like it's it's a little intimidating to reach out to people on LinkedIn you haven't seen in a while or to send an owl to an old friend whose logo is an owl. But it's like, but what you're saying is that by the mere act of reaching out, it could be one on a value providing like, hey, I saw this, I thought about you. I read this, I thought about you. I watched this video, I thought about you. I had a conversation with somebody I thought about you. That's that initial instigation to connect with them. But then whether it's that or once you connect with them, you can also share, be vulnerable and say, hey, I see that you got success over there doing that. I can see from far. 
how's that working for you? And how would somebody like me tap into that? It's not that you're really asking for anything. You're empowering them to share and do what they're all about, right? So you're by trying to connect with somebody, you're allowing that person to do what they love to do or to share what they love to do, which is less intimidating, right? Yeah, 100%. And that's the, you know, it's always like a give take thing. And as I mentioned earlier, how do I make their life easier? It's not like, Hey, Ryan, give me your hundred steps to sailing. And I'm like, I need you to go find me and, and buy like negotiate a boat that I can buy. Yeah. You're like, tell me what boat to buy by the end of day tomorrow or else. <laughs> it's like, no, you know, and that's being able to have mentors or specific people in certain domains, right? I'm not going to go to my friend, Joe, who sold seven different companies and ask him about relationship advice when he's never been married. Right. Or I'm not going to go to my friend who's had five divorces. Uh, maybe actually I will, because like, he's obviously <laughs> like learned, learned a lot within relationships. But to be able to know the specific things and, you know, as I, um, many years ago, I was fortunate enough to do a remit safety course. And he's like, is it a $3 question or a $30,000 question? $3 questions can be found on Google, right? Like, as you said, go Google water bear. Yeah. You can find like the basis, but if you get like really deep into it, you're going to have to call Ryan or a researcher to learn about more of the color or the specific aspect. Um, but you can find a basic aspect and just like be prepared coming in, like have thought through some questions, have thought through some things, you know, just have a genuine interest. And in one of the things that especially speakers, we love teaching stuff. And so how do you get into somebody's domain where you know they're the expert? And to be able to, as you mentioned, right, be vulnerable enough to ask. And one of the things that one of my friends always tell me, if you don't ask, it's already a no. Mm. So what's the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to get another no. Right. Never ask, never get. I always like that one too. It's like, what are you going to lose, right? Like never ask, never get. And also like an additional strategy is like, giving people a way out too of like in an email signature. Hey, I understand if you're too busy to respond. So it takes the pressure off of forcing that connection or feeling like you're forcing that connection. Right. Okay. So we talked about a lot of stuff. And if I go back to your original story about being stuck in a position where you have to make a decision. And I feel like a lot of speakers are stuck, not necessarily in Europe, whether they have to come back here to the U S because of pandemic, but they might be stuck where they're at. They haven't gotten a gig in a while or they are not getting the fees that they used to, or they haven't fully taken the jump to really own the digital space if that's what they want. And so this idea of being stuck, the worst thing you can do is not make a decision. And as we're talking about, it could be as easy as flipping a coin, or it could be as easy as your best effort. But the goal here is that taking that step forward, making that decision, you will then learn retroactively what you could have done better, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't have made the decision. So it's like making the decision and I see this parallel between a decision-making, it's almost the same as connecting. And so the one thing that can get you onto a stage probably relatively quickly is through some sort of connection. And if you're not making connections, if you're not actively outreaching every day, then you only have you to blame. And so for those people who are on the fence and they are literally that maybe the same traction they've had for the last two years, just because everything or even worse, right? Like they've fallen off the fence. Speak to them about motivating them to using connection as a way to get back into the game for those that need us to help push them up onto the fence so that they can jump. 
what are sort of your final words of inspiration? The person who knows about connection, the person that makes the split decisions that can be eight months of a result, but they just do it by the seat of their pants. How do you get people to connect more, to make these decisions, to make these connections? What They're listening. They're like, what is he going to say? Just give up. <laughs> okay. So we use humor. This is good. No, it's one of those, one of those aspects that we really need to connect with ourselves. Is there emotional block? Is there fear? Is there stress? Is would you have to be on the road more and you have kids, but you really want to be with kids and you want to do this kind of for your ego and but this. And so I would say it's really important to connect with yourself. So getting on the fence is first connecting with yourself. I like that because I think people get stuck to connect out to other people. And I like that reminder of a connection first. Yeah, we must connect with ourselves and really like get true to the core. And then the other aspect is we all have a gift to share. You know, as we mentioned earlier, what if that one audience member, I believe most speakers, you know, whatever has been their biggest transformation is usually what they speak on or their biggest experience or pain. And they like find that they're able to share that and just really think through the experience of the audience member. like the emails and the phone calls and the texts from people that I was able to either help get sober or help them transform their relationship with connection and be able to be like, Hey, why are you doing what you do? (laughs) Do you want people to be able to experience that? And then one of the other aspects, which one of my coaches has told me many times over the years is like humans want to get the most out of life with the littlest amount of effort, simple human conditioning. And so we want to get that $100,000 speaking fee, but we're not willing to put in the two hours a day in outreach. Or we want to have that perfect body, but we're not able to go to the gym. (laughs) There's a disconnect. And so to be able to really connect with ourselves and be able to really think through, why do I want to do this? And when you get in alignment with that, I mean, you know, the sky's the limit. And obviously you've seen in your work of working with kids and startups is, you know, I was able to see the passion that you have being able to come in and re-energize the entrepreneur program because you know there's going to be kids that you're going to be able to impact that are going to create big companies that change the future. Yeah. And I have to connect with myself in order to even help them make those connections in order to connect further. So it's like a triple connect. You're connecting with yourself. You're connecting with your potential audience. And you're connecting with the people that help you get in front of the audience. And if you lose any of those legs on the stool, then you can get into this decision-making roundabout cyclone charborless where you just keep spinning. And I think the worst thing we can do as speakers is to not make decisions to go where we want to go. And if you decide that you want to take a break, that's fine. It's a decision. You're not stuck in a decision. And I love how that comes back to your first story. And so whether it's flip a coin, whether it's just go with your gut, whether it's just something, the best thing you can do right now for yourself is to make a decision, make a decision to connect with yourself, make a decision of why it is that you want to connect with an audience, and then make a decision to connect with the people who can get you there. So I think that's good. It sounds like you're ready to write a book on connection. So tell us about that. Tell us about how we can get in touch with you. Tell us about how we can follow you and find you and then, you know, cyber stalk you and harass you and then fall in love with you and then buy all of your stuff and then be friends forever. Only if there's water bears involved. <laughs> the easiest and most responsive is email. Email me at gb at geniuscreators.org. 
I don't even know if I could spell it. Yeah, that's a hard one. So it's G-B at G-E-N-I-U-S-C-R-E-A-T-O-R-S dot org is the best way on Instagram, Gordon Buffton 8. All right, because one of the people that you need to connect if you're listening here is the guy who talks about connection because you can probably help to spread the connection, like the connection multiplier, the connection network, maybe I'll say. And then I also wrote The Connection Effect, an entrepreneur's playbook to unlocking the present moment a couple of years ago. So that was really an amazing project. You can find that on on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. And yeah, just really reach out. (laughs) Let's start the conversation. Happy to help support speakers or people writing books or just doing really, really cool things. Or if you want to join a mastermind and use that as a place to help you connect with yourself and have a supportive environment for others. And uh, I look forward to jumping on one of those trains with you as well, because power of proximity and the people who you connect with is directly related to your success and your significance. So good on you for helping to connect people. Yeah. So no, it's been a fun journey. The entrepreneurship is the roller coaster, which is life. And, you know, we just have to keep making decisions as we talked about and keep connecting. <laughs> and remember where there's a story, there's a one single lesson you can teach people and they can all package into a workshop or a keynote or a pocket talk or something like that. So there's tons of stories out there. There's tons of messages. There's tons of people connect with, but decide who you want to connect with and the one thing you want to get across so that my mom will be happy that you make a difference to just one person. So thanks for your time here today, Gordon. I'm excited to continue to follow your adventures around the world. Appreciate it, Ryan. Thanks for having me. And remember, it's all about connections. Just takes one. And they just need to remember that one thing. So ask yourself, what was the one thing you remembered about this show? What stuck out? You might not remember Gordon's name. You might not remember me. You might not remember anything. But hopefully there is one thing that you remember. And that's what I challenge you to share with somebody else. And if you don't even know that, then just share this podcast with somebody else. And if this is your first time listening, then become a subscriber. And if you are not following me or you don't know who I am, I'm easy to find online. You just go to Ryan. Dot online. And if you are a speaker and you don't have a website and you don't know how to find gigs and you're really at square zero, which I don't know if there's a square zero, but there's now a square zero, you can go to speakerhub.com where you can build your own speaking profile. There's an engine to search for call for speakers. You can connect with a speaker community. You can get involved with their newsletter and get all kinds of tips and tricks because this wheel has been created. It's just a matter of what type of vehicle you want to build and how fast and how far you want to go. So we'll see you online, ryan.online. Make sure to support our sponsor, Speaker Hub. And other than that, Gordon, peace out. Thank you. Thank you.